How are we doing this morning? Good. I'm glad you could, you could make it to be with us today. As Nick and Chris said, and Charlotte, my name is Mark, and with my beautiful wife, Maddie, we oversee an awesome bunch of leaders who make up the gathering cluster here at Asher Vineyard. I am really, really honoured to be able to speak to you this morning. I'm going to be kicking off the new series of, of Let's Go to the Movies. It's becoming a bit of a tradition here at Asher Vineyard over the summer. I think we called it Real Faith last year. Clever pun, that one. This year we're calling it Let's Go to the Movies, and, and it's all about looking at different movies that mirror or explain something of God's character, or something that we see in the Bible. I believe fundamentally that God is always speaking, and God is always moving, and, and depending on your, your church tradition, that it might seem crazy to say that God, to, God can speak to people who aren't even looking for him, that he can speak to people even in a cinema, through a movie scene that that describes his heart and what he's like. Has anyone here ever cried in a movie? Okay, we can see who the liars are by not putting your hands in. Was that Bambi? Any others? Give me some examples, what what people cried at. Okay, yeah. E.T. I heard. Anything else? The Greatest, I haven't seen it yet. I need to see it. Am I gonna cry? Okay. So I'm not a huge crier at movies. For me, the um, uh, Disney Pixar's Up every single time makes me cry. And La La Land, the film that I've chosen to do this morning, so it could be interesting to see how this goes. I might be blubbing by the end of it. There's something uh, about being captured inside of a scene, inside of an experience. People who are, who are lying, they're literally pretending to be somebody they're not. But they're telling a story that draws you into an emotional experience, which I believe isn't just emotional, but demonstrating something of God's heart. There will obviously be some spoilers for the films we're going to talk about. Sorry about that, but they have mostly been out a while, so you've, uh, you've had your chance if you really wanted to see them. Now, I know there'll be a wide variety of opinions in the room as to whether you enjoyed La La Land or not. Who's seen it? Just as a, as a show of hands. Oh, lots of people haven't. I'm going to wreck this film for you. (laughs) For the record, I loved it. I laughed. I cried. Maddie laughed at me crying. The film is centred around two people, Sebastian and Mia, played by Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone, who meet and fall in love in Los Angeles while they're in pursuit of their dreams. And what I want to do this morning is is to pull the focus onto Sebastian, or I'll probably refer to him as Seb, because I feel like, you know, I feel like we've grown to be friends over my many <laughs> hours of watching the film these last few weeks. And I want to look at what his character can tell us about following a call to something more than what you see around you. The first scene I'm going to show you is from fairly early on in the film, and Seb sets out why he loves jazz and what his dream is. I'm going to stop auditioning and I'm going to make history instead. Well, my work is done here. I should probably tell you something now, just to get it out of the way. Mm-hmm. I hate jazz. Are you okay? What do you mean you hate jazz? It just means that when I listen to it, I don't like it. Yeah, but it's such a blanket statement you don't like jazz. What are you doing right now? Nothing.
just think that people, when they say that they, you know, hate jazz, they just, they don't have context. They don't know where it comes from. Jazz was born in a little flop house in New Orleans, and it just, because people were crammed in there, they spoke five different languages, they couldn't talk to each other. The only way they could communicate was with jazz. You know, what about Kenny G? What? What about Kenny G? I mean, what about elevator music? You know, jazz music that I know. What about it? For my life. Mm -hmm. I just, I mean, I, I find it relaxing. It's myself. not relaxing, it's not, it's not. Sidney Bechet shot somebody because they told him he played a wrong note. That's hardly relaxing. Even where I grew up, there was this station called K-Jazz 103, and people would just put on that station when they had a cocktail party. And everyone would kind of just talk over it. I know. It was, that's the problem. Okay, okay. So I think that that's part of the problem is that you can't hear it. You know, you have to see it. You have to see what's at stake. I mean, look at these fellas. Look at, look at the, the, the sax player right now. He just hijacked the song. He's on his own trip. Every one of these guys is composing, they're rearranging, they're writing, and they're playing the melody. They're just, and now look, the trumpet player, he's got his own idea. And so it's conflict and it's compromised and it's just, it's new every time. It's brand new every night. It's very, very exciting. And it's dying. It's dying, man. It's dying on the fine. And the world says, let it die. It had its time. Well, not on my watch. What are you gonna do? I'm gonna have my own club. Really? Yes. I love Seb's passion in that scene. That he 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 he, he wants to share that passion with, with people. It gets a little bit mumbly at the end, but it's important to hear what's said. Seb says it's dying. It's dying, Mir. It's dying on the vine, and the world says, let it die. It's had its time, but not on my watch. And the Mir asks, what are you going to do? And he says, I'm going to have my own club. And he goes on to explain what they're going to do. They're going to play what they want, when they want. That's his vision right there. That's his dream for a better world that he sees, the change he wants to make, the path he's chosen to walk. He's seen what's happening. He says, no, not on my watch. So the first question, a bunch of questions I want to ask you this morning is, is what's your vision? What's your God-given dream? What's God calling you to? Who's he asking you to stand up for? What's he asking you to create? In what way is he asking you to follow him? What does he put on your heart that you say, not on my watch? I don't know that answer for you, and some of you don't know that answer for yourself, and that's, that's okay. But there's something. There's a book in the Old Testament, Jeremiah, and um, it's one of the, the prophetic books. And it says this. This is from the, uh, the message version. Before I shaped you in the womb, I knew all about you. Before you saw the light of day, I had holy plans for you. A prophet to the nations, that's what I had in mind for you. But I said, hold it, Master God, look at me. I don't know anything. I'm only a boy. And God told me, don't say I'm only a boy. I'll tell you where to go and you'll go there. I'll tell you what to say and you'll say it. Don't be afraid of a soul. I'll be right there looking after you. God reached out, touched my mouth and said, look, I've put my words in your mouth, hand delivered. See what I've done? I've given you a job to do among nations and governments, a red letter day. Your job is to pull up and tear down, take apart and demolish, then start over building and planting. I love that. Before you saw the light of day, I had holy plans for you. 
as I was preparing this talk, I, I was going over what I wanted to say, and I was, I, I can picture the scene, I was driving back from work, coming off the slip road at Junction 9, I don't think that's important, but God's, God spoke to me the way that I, I, I've, I don't often have, and it was almost like we were having a very real conversation, it was like he was sitting in the truck with me. And I knew that, that I wanted to, to mention about, about, about vision and about your dreams and plans. And God said to me very plainly, very clearly, that, that there were people in this room who were saying, God's done with me. I'm too old or I'm too tired or I've made decisions in my life that, that mean this is my lot. So I, I had a moment and went, okay, what do I do with that? And this was the reply that felt like God said, to say really plainly, I'm not done with you. God's not done with you. He's not done with you. If you think that, it's a lie and you need to hear the truth. God is not done with you. In fact, let's be really non-British for a moment. Just turn to the person next to you and say, he's not done with you. Oh, well, that was awkward. <laughs> There's a song right towards the end of the film, um, right when Mia gets her big break. And it's probably my favorite song of the film. And it starts, here's, here's to the ones who dream, foolish as it may seem. And I want to see the church, the, the wider church, but including Ashford Vineyard, full of foolish dreamers who passionately go after the plans that God has for them. We've got a couple of clips to play now, and we're, we're pretty much in the middle of the film. We've missed a lot of singing and dancing, but it would be wrong to go the whole morning without at least one musical number. I'm not going to be dancing. You can if you want. <laughs> In this clip, uh, Seb has joined a, a band of an old schoolmate. He's touring the country. It's popular. He's making good money and all of his time and energy going into the band. And this is me seeing the show for the first time. As soon as that clip's done, we're going to go straight into one that, that follows on in the movie. It's a slightly longer clip of Seb and me having dinner together, and he's just surprised they're coming back from tour early, and they're catching up. So let's have a, take a look at this. You're nervous about what they think? I'm nervous to do it. I'm nervous to get up on a stage and perform for people. I mean, I don't need to say that to you. It's going to be incredible. You don't get it, but I'm terrified. They should be so lucky to see it. I can't wait. I can. 
When do you leave? The morning? <clears throat> yeah. 6.45. Boise. Boise? Boise. To Boise. You should come. To Boise? Yeah, you can knock that off your bucket list. Oh, that would be really exciting. I wish I could. What are you doing after the tour? Why can't you? Come to Boise? Yeah. Because I have to rehearse. Yeah, but can't you rehearse anywhere? Anywhere you are? I mean, I guess. Um, well, all my stuff is here, and it's in two weeks, so I don't really think that would be... Okay. The best idea well, right now, but I wish I could. <clears throat> We're just gonna have to try and see each other, you know, just never see each other. I know, but when are you done? What do you mean? I mean... When you finish with the whole tour? But after we finish, we're gonna go record and then we go back on tour. You know, we tour so we can make the record, so we can go back and tour the record. So it's like the long haul. What do you mean the long haul? I mean the long haul, like you're gonna stay in this band for a long time. On tour. I mean, what did you think I was gonna do? I don't, uh, I hadn't really thought it through. I didn't know that the band was You so didn't think important. it would be successful? Um, no, that's not really what I mean. I just mean that, you, you, I mean, you're gonna be on tour for what, months now, years? Yeah, I don't be, this is it. I mean, this is, it could feasibly be, yeah, for, I could be on tour with this for a couple years at least, just this record. Do you like the music you're playing? I don't, I don't know what, what it matters. Well, it matters because if you're going to give up your dream, I think it matters that you like what you're playing on the road for years. Do you like the music I'm playing? Yeah. I do. I just didn't think that you did. Yeah, well, you, you know, said Keith is the worst, and now you're going to be on tour with him for years. So I just didn't. I don't know what, what are you doing. Know right if now? you were happy. Why are you doing this? I don't. <laughs> I you thought you wanted me to do this. It just sounds like now you don't want me to do it. What do you mean? I wanted you to do this. This is what you wanted from me. To be in this band. To be in a band. To have a steady job. You know. To 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 be. You know. Of course, I wanted you to have a steady job so that you could take care of yourself and your life and you could start your club. Yeah, so I'm doing that, so I don't understand. Like, why aren't we celebrating? Why aren't you starting your club? You said yourself no one wants to go to that club. No one wants to go to a club called Chicken on a Stick. So change the name. Well, no one likes jazz. Not even you. I do like jazz now because and of you. And this is what I thought you wanted me to do. What am I supposed to do? Go back to playing Jingle Bells? I'm not saying that. I'm saying Swiping pennies so I can start a club that no one and wants start to go the club. to? That people will want to go to it because you're passionate about it and people love what other people are passionate about. You remind people of what uh, they forgot. Not my experience. Well, whatever, right? I mean, it is, it's just, it's time to grow up, you know? I have a steady job, this is what I'm doing, and now all of a sudden, if you had these problems, I wish you would have said them earlier, before I signed on the goddamn dotted line. I'm pointing out that you had a dream, that you followed, that you were sticking to. This is to. the dream! 
This is the dream. This is not your Guys dream. Guys like me work their whole lives to be in something that's successful, that people like, you know? I mean, I'm finally in something that, 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 that people enjoy. Since when do you care I don't enjoy about it, Nice light scene. I find that, that scene so hard. That whole conversation so hard. And there's so much in there. The part where, where Seb says that like, guys like me work their whole life for an opportunity like this. This is the dream. And Mia says back, it's not your dream. In the film, um, Seb has this steady job in the band. And, and after that clip we watched, it, it seems that, that Mia's challenge to him got through. And the film doesn't explicitly tell us this, but because it, it sort of shifts focus to Mia and her dream of, of being a, 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 an actress and, and their relationship. But there's this subtext that he quits the band and he follows his dream. He looks up and he remembers what he's pursuing. Because way at the end of the film, he's opened his club, Seb's. He's fulfilled his dream, his vision, but it's not been without cost. I think he gave everything. He sacrificed to see his dream realized. He left the comfort of someone else's dream and risked. He had to go all in. And I think there are parallels of this all over the Bible. That there's a cost to following Jesus and the dreams he's put in your life. But when you do, when you live the dream he has for you, although it might feel like there are sacrifices to be made in the immediate, the end result is so much more than what you leave behind. In the time that we've got left, I wanted to look at this passage from the book of Luke, one of the, the four books that that tell us about the life of Jesus. And it says this, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes and dens. Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So I just want to try and unpack some of this a bit, because Jesus says some hard things in that passage. Have you ever noticed that Jesus isn't afraid to push back? to question motives, just like, like Mia does to Seb earlier in that clip, when she says, it's not your dream, though. In that passage, there's an invitation. Jesus says, change what you're committed to and experience the freedom of the kingdom. So the first thing Jesus says there is effectively, are you prepared to be homeless, right? There's, this, um, there's a parallel passage in, in one of the other Gospels, uh, the book of Matthew, gives a few more details about the scene. It's, it's exactly the same scene, just described by a different person. And it tells us that the guy Jesus is talking to is, is a wealthy scribe. Jesus says, you want to follow me? Let me give you a preview of what it's going to be like. You've got to be willing to go without. You know, foxes and dens, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He looks at a wealthy scribe and says, what are you prepared to sacrifice? What are you prepared to give up to follow me? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a, um, a German pastor and theologian who, who lived in the sort of first half of the 1900s. His writings are generally well regarded throughout the Christian world. He says more than once in his writings, if you can't readily describe things you have sacrificed that were painful for you, you might not be a follower of Jesus. 
if you can't readily describe sacrifices you've intentionally made that cost you, you might not be a follower of Jesus. You might be a fan of Jesus. You might like what he has to say, the concepts of what he has to say interesting. But Jesus says, to follow me, it will cost you. I mean, I remember when I started going to a small group. Um, we call them circles here. It's my birthday in two weeks. I'll be 35. So 16 years ago. It was a sacrifice. It was, it was a pain to, to go to someone's house each week to sacrifice my time as if, as if I had anything better to do or as a student. I had loads of time. But that sacrifice enabled me to hear about God, to experience life with God, to learn to hear his voice, to connect with others in community. I, I, like, I look back on that and think, what were you doing that was so important that that felt like a sacrifice? Like, Mark, how was your life so busy that an evening with people who love God seemed like an imposition on my time? It, it wasn't. Or I think about having moved here to learn to, to church plant under Nick and Chris. That was a sacrifice. We used to live in Nottingham until six years ago, seven years ago. I'm not sure how long we've been here now. But life in Nottingham was great. We had good jobs, awesome friends. My parents lived like 20 minutes away, so we had free childcare, although we didn't have kids at that point, but we would have had free childcare. We were well regarded in church. Life was good, but there was something bigger that God put in our hearts that meant staying wasn't an option. I remember we had a, um, a leaving party probably a week or so before we left Nottingham. All of our friends came out and I remember feeling like I, I just don't want to leave. I had, well, we've got Jude, a three-year-old, and he does a great sort of stamping no. And I felt like that. I was like, I don't want to go. This is insane. Why give all of this up to move to a place we don't know? We don't know anyone. We've never, we don't know the place. We don't know the people. I think at that point we've met Chris and Nick like three times. We've been to one messy church Sunday service, and that wasn't my thing at all. <laughs> and that was it. That was what we were heading into. It felt like a huge sacrifice, but it was the right thing to do. If we'd have stayed back in Nottingham, we wouldn't have grown as much as we have, or as fast as we've had to here. We wouldn't have made a whole new bunch of awesome friends. We wouldn't have learned what we've learned. We know the sacrifices just keep on coming. So we came here to learn to church plant, which means we're going to leave again. And right now, life is pretty good. We've got Jude. There's another, another baby due in November, which is just awesome. I'm so excited. I'm working a job that I like with people that I like, and I can progress in that. I could be a director one day. We're in a lovely house. We've got great neighbors, great friends. There's nothing to go wrong in that situation. This is the dream, but it's not our dream. We moved here for a reason, and, and that reason means we'll move away to somewhere new and need to start again in a place that we don't know, surrounded by people that I don't know. Like, what are we thinking? That's not what God's put in my heart. But I know that any sacrifice in the name of Jesus, I guarantee you in a year or two, you'll look back and think, that was so worth it. What we give up in our life to follow Jesus, to thicken our life with him, with others. When we look back, it seems silly every single time. Do I miss Nottingham? Yeah, absolutely. I miss the people. The place? Yeah. I miss the people. But I don't regret our decision to move here. When you give up a night of your week, when you give of your money or your energy or of, of yourself, God honours those sacrifices. 
because it demonstrates commitment, and commitment without sacrifice is a myth. It's just not real. What sacrifices in your life are you thinking, I can't do that? But God would say, how can you afford not to do this? This is what it looks like to follow me. So on to the last part. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. This is a really interesting analogy that Jesus uses. He's saying it's about where you're focusing your attention. Now, I used to love windsurfing. This is a rare photo of me when I'm not swimming next to the board. Um, I still love it. I just never really have the time to get out there anymore. But There's a principle you get taught fairly early on when you're learning to windsurf. That seems pretty obvious, but isn't that easy. And that is, look where you want to go. It's profound, right? Like, when you're there, when you're in that situation, the sail is trying to flip you into the water. The board is moving all over the place. You're trying to get your feet into the toe straps. You're trying to get a harness onto the beam. There's a lot going, around, going on around your immediate area. But if you just look here, where you are, you're not going to get to where you're aiming for. The only way you do that successfully is by focusing on the point way in the distance where you're trying to get to and not focusing on your feet or a point just ahead of you. Like I've never worked a plow. Jesus is talking about a plow. But I have it on good authority. It's a similar principle. When you... When you plough, you don't plough looking a metre ahead. Otherwise, you're, the aim's not there. You're just going to curve off. You, you plough aiming at the end. In the film, Seb gets to this point where he's so busy with what's around him, playing in the band, that he can't look up, he can't focus on the future. He can't look ahead. The immediate has crowded out the important. You need to focus ahead. That's what Jesus is saying. Look up, look ahead. Now, if the Bible's true, it tells us that Jesus will come and make all things new again someday. That there's a day not long from this one where there will be no tears, no pain, no shame, no one will be sick. God will make everything new again. That we have in our life this little window of time, very small. But you're like a wave tossed in the ocean. From... Um, Amazing grace, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. It's a good question from time to time to ask, what will I be doing 10,000 years from now? And how does this day count in light of that one? And Jesus is saying, if that's true, this day should count in light of that. Don't just look at the next week or the next month. Lift your eyes and set your gaze on a day when you will see him face to face. And if that captures your attention, it means you'll probably plough in a pretty good direction. Can I ask you to stand? And can the band come back, please, if, that's, if they're around? I think this morning is a, um, is a really good moment. If you said yes to following Jesus, I think it's a really good moment to say, I reaffirm my faith. I say, you have it all. 
I choose to sacrifice, I choose to reprioritize. Lord, I lift my eyes up to see beyond the immediate, beyond what's around me in order to live differently now. I think there are some people here who want to reaffirm that commitment to say again, you have it all, Jesus. I don't know how I've lost track. I don't know how I've let the things of this life grab hold of me. Anxieties and the anxiousness that come from tying my affections to something besides you. I turn that loose. I set my eyes on you again. It's only forward from here. I'm going to fix my eyes on that dream, that passion, that following you, Jesus, because it's forward that I want my life with Jesus to go. Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we hope you enjoyed it. For more information, visit ashfordvineyard.org or maybe drop into something if you're nearby. In the meantime, have a great week and know just how loved you are.